Welcome in to another edition. And Eric, it's a new name. I don't know if you know this or not. We now have a new name for the podcast. It's now called the Otson Audibles Podcast. Matt Brain, Eric Scopel's across the way digitally. Eric, digitally, digitally across. I'm doing pretty good here. Uh, yeah, I remember Otson Audibles as a name uh, that was our former message board. Uh, name, yes. Which I think a lot of people listening might remember. But uh, yeah, we've transitioned the name. We've got a cool graphic which I think is going to be attached to this. Is this going to be the first uh, podcast that that's going to be attached to? Uh, second podcast. Okay. They kind of changed the name without really telling us. <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> like, like what we knew the name was coming. We just didn't know when the execution of the said name change was going to happen. And just kind of one day it was, oh, uh, I guess we changed the name. It's official. Well, yeah, and, and I I like the name. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm fully in support of the name, but yeah, like you, I was kind of like, oh, I guess we're uh, lots of audibles now instead of Duck Territory <laughs> podcast. But uh, yeah. but here here we go. A new yeah, I guess a new uh, a new chapter is being created of this podcast. And uh, enjoy the first I guess official that we were aware of it being changed uh, to the Lots and Audible podcast. Yes, and uh, let's get some business out of the way. If you are not a subscribing member of uh, DuckTerritory.com. You can go up and sign up for your first 30 days and pay just one dollar. Uh, you can't beat that price anywhere else. Or if you're a month-to-month subscriber right now, or if you're someone that, hey, you know what? I know I want to jump in and I don't want to. I know I want to commit for a year. Uh, you can sign up for your annual subscription. Your first year will be six dollars and twenty-six cents per month. Uh, unreal savings. I think it, it equates out to almost three months worth uh, of savings if you opposed to paying month-to-month full price. So uh, really good deal there. We've got a good show today on the Austin Audible's podcast. That's going to be difficult for me to get used to saying because I'm so used to saying the other name. Uh, but I will continue to, to name the, it correctly, and if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. So don't hold uh, me to it. I was really impressed that you got it right there, to be honest, Matt, because I was, I, I, I remember the way this whole thing comes together, your introduction, and I was, I was waiting for the Duck Territory podcast to come out out of habit, but good, good work by you. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, we are, <laughs> we are on the Odds and Audibles, Odds and Audibles podcast, and we're going to talk about some big Oregon basketball news on the women's side. Another huge recruit has landed with the Ducks. Get Eric's take on what's there. Uh, Saturday Night Live for Oregon football, if you're unfamiliar with that, it's a huge football camp. It's kind of the last hurrah of summer recruiting for for Oregon, at least. And then the next couple of days after that, they kick into football camp and get ready for their season. And recruiting kind of gets never necessarily fully put on hold, but uh, a lot of the attention goes towards fall camp. Uh, but a huge number of prospects are coming to that. We've got some buzz, early buzz on that as well from a recruiting perspective. Uh, and then Eric's released his top 10 breakout offensive players to watch this fall. We'll go through, uh, some of those names, uh, and, and get his opinions on that. And of course I'll, I'll share mine as well. But Eric, let's, let's circle back now to women's basketball because it really seems like for Kelly Graves and the Oregon women's basketball program, every other week they're adding another five-star caliber prospect to the roster. And and this one is a, a really big one. Sedona Prince uh, was a top 10 recruit in the 2018 uh, recruiting cycle uh, per ESPN and, and also a couple of other services. Uh, went to Texas uh, and unfortunately broke her leg before her freshman season, sat it out, and due to medical reasons, which – 
I spoke with her on the phone on Saturday shortly after she committed to Oregon. She's not really willing to get into right now. Probably a lot of, uh, you know, some, some work that she has to kind of step around before she can talk about it, but decided to open things up and, uh, picked Oregon over UConn and Notre Dame. And those are the big, big players in women's college basketball, if you're familiar. And to go out and land a player of her caliber, a top 10 recruit who's six foot seven, which I might have buried the lead there. I mean, she's a, she's probably the largest player, at least since I've been covering this team, for, for sure the, the, the tallest player Oregon has signed. And, I'm going to guess the largest in a number of years, maybe in program history. I'd have to fact check that a little better, but a humongous addition to this program. And the other thing, she might be eligible to play immediately because she's going to petition the NCAA for a waiver to play uh, in the 2019-20 season. Um, if she if that fails, she'll have to wait a year. But she'd have either way, she's going to have four years of eligibility. This is a big time interior piece for Oregon going forward. And honestly. Again, the fact that they go out and can beat UConn and Notre Dame for a player of this caliber really speaks to kind of the way this this program is is kind of positioned and the direction it's going. Once again, yeah, it really really sounded like UConn was really hoping that they would be able uh, to add her along with uh, Evina Westbrook, a, a, a transfer from Oregon, uh, excuse me, from Tennessee, who came from the Salem Oregon area and. Um, was a five-star player ter- too, and then it, it really sounded like UConn was really hoping that they could pair those two together to kind of be that next wave of of influx of talent for them. And uh, for the Ducks now, it's I mean, realistically, I mean, do you think there's a good chance that she could get her waiver cleared to play right away? Because if that happens, I mean, Oregon's already going to be probably the the clear-cut number one team, but. I mean, it, it almost could be like it would be a huge shock if they didn't win it off if she got eligible too. She she seemed to be pretty confident in, in saying that people that are knowledgeable and understand the circumstances think she has a pretty good opportunity to get that waiver. And I spoke with a couple other people who feel similarly. So I think there is a fair amount of optimism right now. And whether I don't know when we'll learn news on that. I'm guessing that won't be something that comes down anytime particularly soon. It might be something that even plays out close to the start of the season in November. But uh, it, if, if that does come together, that is now an unbelievable roster. You know, I, I, I would assume she probably comes off the bench. I don't know. I, be, I mean, this is stuff that'll be really interesting to see because we, it was already a crowded starting lineup and you're already having to put some really talented players, um, on the bench. But if you add a player of her caliber who again is six foot seven, is a game changer on defense, especially. I wrote about that in the story that that's where she kind of sees her immediate impacts that Oregon being is on the defensive side. It makes sense when you're six foot seven and she averaged about five shot blocks a game in high school in Texas um, a couple of years ago. Uh, if you add that to what Oregon has, it's yeah. It, they, again, they already are the preseason favorites and that's pretty much unanimous. You add her to that along with Minion Moore, who was added uh, last month, the USC transfer who's expected to slide into my take Azorla spot. You're just loaded. I, I, and, and you can play a lot of different ways. And I think, one of the interesting things with adding Prince to the, this whole thing, if she is, you know, able to play, and obviously she will be at some point down the line, so it'll be a factor going forward, is that Oregon hasn't had that six foot seven big player, and you saw it in last year's NCAA tournament against Mississippi State and Baylor in, con- in consecutive rounds, that the size was problematic for Oregon. Uh, Tierra McCowan from Mississippi State gave Oregon a lot of fits. Oregon barely won that game. And then Kalani Brown uh, was even probably more problematic for Oregon, and Baylor ended up knocking off Oregon and eventually winning the national championship game. So a player of this size negates other players' size, and even if she isn't, say, a starting player, she's a player that you could play 20, 25 minutes in a game, possibly, against a team that has another player of that size. So let, 
We I don't know if we've discussed Minion more a lot here on the podcast. Real, real quick before we move on to the next yeah. subject here, what's the impact here? Uh, you think with her uh, on this roster for Oregon next season, and, and is she? I mean, she's she's got to be an automatic starter, right? Uh, yeah, I think so, and she's probably the front runner to be defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. She was all-conference defensive first team, or I guess they only do one team, but all-conference defensive Pac-12 player each of the last two seasons. She was a player that didn't shoot the ball particularly well from three, but, yeah, she comes in and probably becomes that defensive stopper, is a capable – I think she had the second-best assisted turnover ratio on the conference last year behind Maite Kozorla. Um, so she's capable with the ball in her hands. It's not like she's a, a liability, and she can get to the basket and score. So she, she is a very versatile player. And again, this roster now with, with, if they do, if Prince is eligible to play right away, it's just so talented top to bottom now with the, the depth at guard with UNESCO and Moore and Chavez and a couple of incoming freshmen with the depth up front with Hebert, Sabali, Sabali's younger sister, Niera, who didn't play last year, but is, is going to be able to play this year after coming off a knee injury. You throw Prince into that. Uh, you've got Aaron Bowley, whose name I don't think I've mentioned. I mean, the, the talent here is you got you could legitimately go eight to nine deep with people that are considered all camp, conference caliber players at some point during their careers at Oregon. And one thing, one last kind of little element here that if you take a step forward, I wrote about this in the story. By the 2021 season, if Oregon keeps everybody that should be on that roster and all five of these five star commitments sign, they could have to up to eight five star players on that 2020-2021 season, which is absolutely absurd. Yeah, that's that, – that, that, I, I don't know if we'll ever see that again at Oregon. I mean, maybe we will. Maybe maybe we need to – Maybe this is the trend, yeah. Yeah, maybe this is going to become a trend for, for them. But it's it's pretty remarkable of the roster that Kelly Graves has created uh, for this season, for years down the road. And I think more importantly, the attention and the – um, interest in this program has risen as fast as I've, as I can recall any, any interest in any program at Oregon. And, and quite honestly, I'm trying to figure out maybe, I mean, maybe looking at another just general team in any sport at any level that's, that's accelerated this fast in fan interest that that or the the women's program has because it's Eric it's July 9th when we're recording this podcast and we when we were mapping out this show we were saying okay maybe it's not the most important thing we need to talk about but we need to talk about the latest comings and goings of the women's program because it's news well, and, and I think the perfect encapsulation of just the fan support and you can look at this just from an, an attendance perspective is the fact that they went from like having five to seven hundred fans per game like four years ago to these last couple of years they've been averaging five six thousand fans I, so yeah absolutely and, and we're seeing it in terms of the interest in the content we put out on the women's basketball side there's a ton of interest people want to talk about this team I can't remember as much uh, attention it, I mean, it's probably honestly like been some men's seasons where we've had less discussion in mid-July yeah. about the upcoming season than this women's team, which everybody – I mean, you go check out the site. If you are a women's basketball uh, supporter or fan or interested in it, we have some – I think probably the best discussion for Oregon women's basketball on our website. There's a couple different threads you can go take a look at. And there's lively discussion basically every single day in the summer when the season is months and months away. So, again, yeah, I agree with you. There is so much fan interest. I get text messages every time there's a commitment from uh, from people that weren't Oregon basketball supporters or fans really had any interest not that long ago. So 
this is stuff that's continuing to build, and I'm sure Kelly Graves is smiling about just how much uh, attention and, and kind of discussion there is right now about the program that he's built. Yeah, the, the numbers suggest every time we do something women's basketball-wise, the numbers suggest to keep doing it, and so we will. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving forward now, Saturday Night Live for Oregon football. Um, we're going to take a break here in a second, but when we come back, uh, there's we're going to break down some movings and goings. So there's already some early buzz uh, starting with this Saturday Night Live event for the Oregon football program. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, like I said, you know, there's already some buzz building for Saturday Night Live, and if if you're unfamiliar with what SNL is, yes, it's not the TV show that you watch on NBC uh, on Saturday nights, but it's a, a high school football camp. I guess junior college players can come too. They, they did have one last year show up, um, but it's a football camp that the, the the Oregon Ducks put on end of July. It's about a five-day window during that period of time where college programs in July can have on-campus visits and interactions with recruits. And so it's it's basically morphed itself into, you know, this four- or five-day period where uh, after about 45 days of no contact, no hosting anybody, you can now have guys on, on campus for five days and then another dead period hits. And for Oregon football, they are putting on a football camp. The last two years, fans have been allowed to attend. We're expecting fans – able to be able to attend again this year. It's on the 27th of July. We do not have an exact time of start time yet, but we'll have that probably in the next couple of weeks or so, uh, considering that it's three weeks out. Um, but it's a huge football camp. And, Eric, the early indications are is that this camp is going to have as many, you know, committable offered guys as we've seen in, in the, his, the short history of this camp. And it's, it's so big that, you know, I, I don't know if I'm spilling beans here yet, but Steve Wiltfong, uh, our national recruiting director, he's going to be out here to help cover the event because there's that many national profile guys on campus. Look at you spilling some beans there and always spill the beans for our listeners if you can. <laughs> Only when it's appropriate, I guess. We don't want to yeah. break too many, too many sources, but I guess we can when it's somebody in our network like that. Uh, yeah, this is, I, I'm really excited, man. I, I'll tell you, football has been out of my life basically since, well, April 20th. <laughs> and it, this is where it actually starts to come together. And I know it, it's not football like fans are watch, used to watching football on Saturdays, but this is a really fun event to come check out if you're somebody into recruiting really at all, because you get an opportunity to watch 
these guys that you probably are going to get to watch as collegiate players at Oregon or at least at rival schools for the next four or five years, and you get to watch them pretty close up up in front and center. And you see Oregon's uh, assistant coaches, head coaches, mentoring them, talking to them, coaching them. You get you get to see a lot of Oregon's commits. I know Matt has already confirmed uh, a handful of guys that are already Oregon you know, commits that are, are set up to to show up. I'm not sure if we're announcing any of those names on this podcast. Yeah, or not. we can Matt, get you some could, of them. Yeah. So you go ahead. Yeah. So we know that right now there's there's a couple five stars that are confirmed. Johnny Wilson's a five star receiver. Uh, out of Southern California, Calabasas High School. Uh, this is an important visit for him. It's an unofficial visit, so that's huge for Oregon uh, to keep that official visit later on in the fall. Uh, and then they've also got uh, Noah Sewell, who's a four-star prospect right now. But, I mean, maybe we need to get Steve on, uh, Steve Wiltfong on, because he's part of that recruiting ranking uh, committee. And they had a, uh, a video that they released during the opening uh, this past week that really highlighted the fact that he's very, very close to becoming a five star. And it sounded like just me reading and reading into what, what they were talking about. It sounds like he's there. He's going to be a five star. Uh, we've also uh, been able to confirm through sourcing that Justin Flo, another five star player. I think he's uh, actually the third best player in the, in the country. Uh, he's yep. expected to be on campus. And then, you know, there's a couple other guys that are five star that are five star guys that are uh, in the process right now of trying to figure out if they can get down here, and it's and they're not from very far away either. So the likelihood of Saturday Night Live having you know five six five star players on campus is legitimately possible right now, and it's once again it's something that I I don't think I ever was three years ago and beyond thinking was possible is now becoming reality that Oregon is going to be able to get multiple five-star guys to pay their own way for unofficial visits during the same weekend for a camp. That's just crazy. It's, it, it is crazy. And you ran through that list. If Oregon is able to hit even like land one or two of those guys, that's a humongous win. And we should mention that Oregon typically has had some success after this camp in learning and in, in gaining some commitments, but this also sort of paves the way for the fall and setting up official visits. Guys come out and check it out and go, oh, this is a place I want to come back for an official visit. Um, and, and they do. And that, and those official visits are usually what kind of paved the way again to commitments with some of these higher profile guys. So it might be a thing where Oregon only lands a couple of guys, but they are able to kind of lock up official visits with six to eight more guys that maybe they wouldn't have been able to. And then you look up in September, October, and November, and those guys are, are on campus and, and organize a chance to, to line them up. So it's going to be really, really fun, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. But it is a great camp, and I recommend, it again, any any Oregon fan listening that hasn't been to it or, or has kind of any, uh, I guess, doesn't know what to expect, it's worth coming and checking out. It's it's going to be probably an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I forget what it was the last couple of years. It's, it's worth coming out and watching some top-tier athletes that could potentially play for your favorite football team for the next four or five years. And you get to watch them do some stuff. It's not like they're, you know, sometimes you go to basketball camps and you get to, you end up watching guys shoot free throws for like an hour. They're going to go through some drills. They're going to do some one-on-one stuff. I mean, it's going to be an opportunity to really see some of these guys perform. And it's a fun, fun camp for sure. Yeah, and the critical thing here is, and you kind of touched on it, is that for Oregon football right now, they don't have uh, the full class of, scholarships to to fill 
that you typically have in, in any other year. Typically the number is 25, but you can get above 25 by a couple, yeah, by some moving of, of numbers a little bit. It's not too complicated, but we won't go down that road right now. But, you know, they, they have 15 commits right now. So they're already, you know, 10 away from that 25 number. And then on top of that, they don't have 25 seniors on scholarship right now. And so their, their class size is going to be closer to somewhere around 20 to, you know, 23, 24 max, unless some, some major departures happen. So, you know, this class right now is operating under the impression that, hey, there's less than 10 spots left in, in this 2020 recruiting class with 15 verbal commitments right now. And sure, decommitments happen. And yeah, there's guys right now that are, you know, visiting other schools and, and could be, you know, candidates to, to flip somewhere else. Um, but for the most part, Oregon's going into Saturday Night Live in three weeks knowing they have 15 verbal commitments as of July 9th, and there's a real possibility that they could land four, five, six more guys that weekend and essentially be done for the 2020 recruiting class before fall camp even opens. I mean, outside of maybe focusing on 12 guys for three positions, I mean, and that, and that makes your job a lot easier. Uh, that's for sure. And that's one of the benefits of, of getting all these commitments early. And, and we probably haven't touched, I mean, we probably have touched on it, but 15 is, it's, they're off to a fast start. And, and yeah. they've kind of done this the last couple of cycles, uh, where they've been off to fast starts. And again, SNL has provided kind of that, uh, that little momentum bump midsummer, I guess late summer, right before fall camp, where they can kind of get, you know, uh, that momentum back a little bit because sometimes things do tend to slow down for July because, like you said, it's a dead period, it's a slow period. There's not a lot going on. So, again, a big opportunity for Oregon to potentially, like you said, fill up their class before fall camp. That could, that's probably <laughs> never been done at Oregon. I no. guarantee that's, never, that's, I guarantee that's never been done at Oregon to fill up your entire recruiting class before you start fall camp. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but that would be, that would be something. That would be something. Yeah, that, that would be, I mean, and this is why everyone talks about, the the lack of importance of recruiting the 2021 recruiting class. So that would be the guys that are going to be high school juniors. Uh, and everyone you know talks about updates on 2021 guys. Oh, it's a long ways off. It's a long ways off. Well, I spoke to a 2021 quarterback, and I'll have a story on that um, on DuckTerritory.com later this week uh, about he said he's going to enroll into school. Uh, he's on track to graduate early. He will, he will graduate from high school in December of his senior season. So December of 2020 and then roll into that school in January 1st of 2021. He said, so he wants to have that decision finished out before his junior year starts because he wants to just focus on finishing high school, his high school career and being able to get himself acclimated as quickly as possible to the, to the college level. So he's deciding where he's going to school in the next, he said, month or so. And, <laughs> wow. And so that, I mean, it, it, it's a quarter, it's a, it's a four star quarterback. It's a top 150 guy. I mean, the, the decision making process for these guys continues to move up. And if you're having to, to go in and, and st- really start your recruiting for 2021 in February of, of 2020, you're already halfway behind. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I wonder if that'll be. Do you think that'll become a trend more often here? Uh, of these. Well, it already are, is with quarterbacks. I mean, quarterbacks right, uh, are already committing earlier and earlier. But I, I think, yeah, I think eventually I, I, yeah. more and more guys will, will commit early. 
Yeah, I kind of meant more non-quarterbacks, but just guys looking to enroll, like you said, when when you know in that January, which is which is unusual. And, and I just wonder how how, many, how often we'll start to see that happen. I mean, you see that in basketball with reclassification, but that's sort of a different thing. Typically, the guys already have uh, are, are able to piece together the credits. You don't see that really in football. But I just wonder if for a while it was crazy that you had early kids enrolling for spring football, right? That was yeah. like the big big thing. I wonder if we'll start to see guys graduate and enroll a little bit earlier and sooner just because of the, you know, enhanced pressure to get those kids into school and get started. I don't know. People seem to want to get their, their window and their start of college football sooner and sooner. I just wonder if we're going to see more of a trend of guys doing things like that. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, I, I, I think reclass in football is going to be less of an option because it's such a physical sport. Right. Um, you need that year of, of development from a body perspective. Not saying basketball isn't a physical sport because it is, but it's, it, it's not even close to, to the demands that football would do, uh, on your body. All right. Now let's, let's shift gears one more time, Eric. Um, let's go to your top 10 list. Now you listed, uh, 10 players that you view as a breakout star, uh, for Oregon in 2019. Or breakout offensive player, I won't say star. Uh, what are the parameters to make this list? What do you have to to qual? What do you have to have to qualify to to count it to count as a breakout guy? Yeah. So the first thing is that I wasn't looking at anybody that has basically a full year of starting experience. So that eliminated a pretty decent chunk of guys offensively. Um, and I'm looking at guys who kind of have yet to have what I would say is a breakout game, a breakout season, a breakout moment, guys that are kind of, and that includes, as you'll see on the list, a lot of incoming guys that haven't played at Oregon. We've got a, a transfer, a couple transfers, a couple of incoming true freshmen, but also some guys like a Cam McCormick, who I'll start with, who is probably the least breakout. You know, he's probably the player that's already broken out the most on this list, but I see him as a guy who, he started, I think, one game in his career, and it was last year before he broke his leg. I still see his junior season this upcoming year as an opportunity for him to go from somebody that fans think of as maybe a secondary option behind Jacob Breland to somebody that could become the team's top tight end. And that's why a guy like him, I think, has an opportunity to break out. Another one that's a little bit unusual is Tyler Shuck at quarterback. I also have him on the list. Another guy who he obviously doesn't have any real history of success playing but a guy who probably isn't going to break out in the sense that I don't expect he'll be beating out Justin Herbert to start a quarterback. I think that would be the hottest <laughs> of red. That would be a hot, hot, hot take. That'd be scalding hot. I'm not saying that, but I send it to the like, sun. Yeah, put yeah, put it to the sun. Uh, I think a guy like that could come in in a couple of uh, games and really solidify himself as the heir apparent behind Justin Herbert for the following season when Herbert uh, graduates. I think he goes out there. I think he's going to be their primary backup. There are going to be, I would imagine, sometimes for him to get out in the second half of a blowout, and if he can go out and perform really, really well, I think that provides him a breakout, and I'm using air quotes here, if you will, in terms of he goes from being a guy that was looked at as a candidate to be the starting quarterback the next year to being a guy that really feels like he has a full stranglehold and, and the likely, likely choice to be that guy. One one that I was really interested in your inclusion here is uh, this is Sean Dollars. So Oregon has – Three kind of proven roles for running backs coming back. Uh, CJ Verdell is kind of your starter. Travis Dye is kind of your, your second starter, if you will. Um, and then Cyrus Abilakil was kind of your goal line short yardage back. You throw in Darian Felix now being healthy. 
you look at those four guys, everyone might come out and say, hey, like, it's going to be very, very difficult for someone to, to crack this group of four guys and, and as a freshman, yet you have Sean Dollars on here. I have dollars on there, and if you read the little explanation, part of the reason is because I could see him being utilized as less of a traditional running back and as more of a guy in the backfield to catch passes or maybe someone who even lines up in the slot. I just think Oregon needs playmakers on offense, and Dollars was the number two rated, uh, I believe, all-purpose running back last year in his in his class. He was a, I think he's like the fifth or sixth highest rated running back Oregon has ever signed, so this is a talented player. And while I agree that he's got an uphill battle ahead of him, I also think there might be an opportunity for him to be utilized outside of the traditional running back, you know, the way they utilize him. And I think they even mentioned this when he signed that you could see him out of almost kind of, uh, you know, taking a direct snap. You could see him in the slot. You could see him, uh, you know, catching passes out of the backfield. I think they're going to get creative with a guy like him and how they utilize him. So while I don't expect that he's going to be a guy who runs for more than, I don't know, 200, 300 yards this year. I could see him being a guy that utilized in the passing game enough that he breaks out where you, you go into his sophomore season going, that's a guy who feels like he should have a larger role next year, even though there's a lot of talent ahead of him. So almost essentially like kind of the, a role that, uh, that uh, Jalen Red has had the last two seasons. Yeah, some, something closer to that, but but maybe with some touches from the back, maybe, sure. maybe where he does line up in the backfield a little bit. But yeah, that's sort of where that was coming from. That's probably that and and uh, Jonah Toyana are probably the two on the list that I feel the least confident about because the opportunity is not quite as much there. But I'm kind of banking on the fact that these are really, really highly rated, talented players that have played at a very high level as high school players and step onto the field as guys who could be difference makers. There just isn't a clear path immediately to playing time, but I still think they have that chance to break out. Because Jonah's in even kind of a tougher spot because there isn't really a way to, to put six offensive linemen out there. Maybe 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 I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see some of this. I should – with who's the head coach of this football program, I'm probably stepping out of bounds there by saying that I think they couldn't put six linemen out there. They might put seven or eight out there. Who knows? But I, I just – He's not going to be a starting every down left or right tackle, I don't think, but I could see him being kind of that that next guy up, kind of like Stephen Jones and Brady Yellow were last year. And offensive line, you typically deal with some nicks and bruises. It's a physical position. I just see him as somebody who is eventually going to get an opportunity to play uh, at a high level, and I think he's talented enough where if you're a veteran guy who goes down, you might not get your job back if, if you leave him you know, a two or three weeks to kind of have a, a dress rehearsal out there um, in, in your place. Now, one guy, or there's two linemen that I would put on this list. Um, now, who I would take off, I'm not quite sure yet. But um, I think you will we'll see a lot of Stephen Jones. Now, maybe he doesn't count because he started what two games last year for one. No, I, 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 I considered him. He's he's he he qualifies to me. I, he hasn't done enough where you're like he's. A start, you know, what I mean, because he, he right. McCormick is probably more well known than Jones to me right now. Sure, sure, yeah, I would agree with that. So I would include Stephen Jones because I, I he was very, very good uh, in about a two or a three game stretch. Once he kind of got his feet wet and figured things out, and then he had that nasty concussion, never was really the same ever since uh, the, the last quarter of the season. Um, but if if he kind of comes back to being like what he was. Uh, during that stretch where he, he figured things out, I think he, he could push his way into the starting lineup. He was that good, um, in my opinion. And then I think 
there's going to be an interesting battle at center because, you know, the last two years Oregon's been able to – Ryan Walk, a walk-on, has done a tremendous job of fending off Alex Forsyth, uh, Cody Shear, um, and, and a couple other guys of, you know, really securing that backup center position. Um, but everyone kind of also has known that, hey, when Hansen needs out or if he got hurt, uh, Calvin Throckmorton would, would shift over to the center position. So it's kind of a weird deal. Like, like Ryan Walk is the backup center, but in an, a pinch, and we've seen it before when Hansen got that targeting call, um, Throckmorton moves to center. They can't do that again this year, I, I don't think, unless it's a short-term play or, or what have you, because if they're going to pull Hansen and the game's no longer in doubt, they can't put Throckmorton at center because they've got to find the replacement for Jake Hansen. And so I'm going to throw this guy out there, Dawson Drillimo, uh, a redshirt freshman offensive tackle Wow. He's basically played everywhere along the defense, along the offensive line during fall camp, during last season as a true freshman, and then this spring he was bouncing all over the place. I think he's, I think he's in in position to maybe by the end of the year lock up that number two center spot. That's a deep cut, Matt. I, I'll be honest. I considered like 16, 18 guys. That was not one that I, I really looked at. I looked at Forsyth possibly. It's, it's similar logic of, of maybe he ends up becoming the heir apparent to Jake Hansen. But I like it, man. I dig it. I, I know he's got the physical tools, and, and uh, Oregon needs to I, – I think you're right on that. Oregon needs to figure out – we talked about this a little bit with Jordan Scott on the other side of the ball. Eventually they need to find a, a replacement in Osgaard. There's no clear, like you said, real heir apparent or, or guy who's going to fill in for Hanson at center after Hanson, Throckmorton, Lemieux, AL, all these guys graduate next year. There isn't a clear guy, and I agree. I think somebody needs to step up, and that maybe that doesn't qualify, quote-unquote, as a breakout. And at least I didn't look at it that way, but, but maybe that is enough of a breakout role because you are going from a total unknown to probably being a locked-in starter the following season. So... That's a good name. I like it. I, I, uh, I, I admit that he wasn't quite on my radar quite like that, but who knows? I think there's a lot gonna, that's going to go on this season in terms of figuring out what the, the next group of offensive linemen at Oregon looks like. They've had this group now going on their fourth season starting together. There's going to be a total overhaul and change in 2020 up front, and you're going to at least have to see some sort of semblance of what that's going to look like this fall, I think, to feel comfortable because let's be honest, if if they just play their starting five right now and four of those are seniors and the other one is Penne Sewell, who's a known commodity, and they don't they don't rotate anyone else in, there's no injuries, you could go through a season where somehow you have, you know, Penne Sewell starting at left tackle next year, but the rest of it is completely up for grabs because you haven't seen these guys play. So I agree. That was a bit of a tangent, but I agree that there's going to be some things we learn at, along the offensive line this year just because I think we have to going into 2020 when they're replacing basically 80% of those guys. Here's another question for you. So we know that Oregon has a solid tight end, better than solid. I mean, this guy's popping up in draft discussions, Jacob Reland, as a senior mm-hmm. tight end. You mentioned the potential in Cam McCormick, and he was the starter last year before yeah, he, he broke his leg his the first game of the season, first half of the season. He didn't get to play a whole half of football. Um So – we know that Oregon's got two options at tight end, in McCormick and in Breland. That third tight end, though, they 
for years that had three tight ends that they use. Is it going to be Spencer Webb, a redshirt freshman? Is it going to be Patrick Herbert, a true freshman? Or could it be maybe a, a Hunter Campmoyer? Or maybe, you know, Matt Mariota moves up the depth chart a lot. And, and as a senior, walk on and gets that spot. Who's going to be that third guy? Who are you placing your bet on? Uh, you didn't mention Ryan Bay. Who, who oh, right, Ryan head, Bay as well. Who, who, who's probably my front runner from a, he'd be a great guy to have out there blocking, but you probably wouldn't always want him out there in passing situations, which is why I think if Spencer Webb or Patrick Herbert, who you just mentioned, if one of those guys can elevate their games, and it sounds like from what I've heard, it's mostly blocking, um, it, with those guys, and it makes sense, they're young, they, they, I think Herbert in particular need, need to put on some weight, but, if those guys can get it figured out, they're going to be a much more dynamic option at tight end than what Ryan Bay can be, just point blank. And that's not intended to be a huge slide on Bay, but Bay is a walk-on guy who's who's been very, very effective now for three years and is, I think, probably really underappreciated in terms of how much he is involved in, in blocking schemes. But if they can get similar blocking production out of Herbert or Webb and then you know include that with what is clearly going to be advanced pass catching, route running, all of that skills from those two guys who are just bigger, more athletic guys, that could be a huge element going forward. He talked about, we just talked about the offensive line where a lot's being lost. Well, Breland's a senior, Bay's a senior, Campmore and McCormick are both juniors. That's a position group that still needs kind of that, that future guy. And I agree, one of those guys could figure out, could, could figure itself in there. I thought about Herbert for a, for a second. I just think ultimately, there might be two, there might not be quite enough opportunity because I do think Breland McCormick are going to get so much of the reps and then a guy like Ryan Bay and, and Hunter Kantmore is probably even a little underappreciated because he does do a lot blocking. Those two guys feel like obstacles for those guys, but certainly wouldn't be shocked at all if by the end of the season we're talking about how Patrick Herbert had like five touchdown catches and, and looks like somebody that's going to be a big player going forward. I wouldn't be, that wouldn't take me back in, in the least. I just think there's a lot that he needs to kind of shore up other and other elements of his game as a six foot six, two hundred and twenty pound, I think was what they listed him at this spring, sure. uh tied in at the D one level. Good stuff all the way around on that. Uh I assume Eric, you're gonna be doing a defensive one that we can discuss sometime probably next week. That'll be up on Wednesday. Okay. So we'll have another we'll have a defensive pot uh defensive ten breakout players to look forward to on, on uh duckterritory.com from Eric. We'll discuss that more in length. Here are that on the podcast, Hots and Audibles. Uh, we've also got NBA Summer League that we'll discuss next week. More Saturday Night Live for Oregon football recruiting. And look, football season is right around the corner, Eric. Last time we were on, I, I, told, I warned you, uh, we are now less than three weeks away from media days in Hollywood, California on the 24th. So, or, or actually we are one day away from it being three day, three weeks on the dot. So it's coming, on the 24th. Man, it's, I don't I don't know where I don't know where the time went, but I I can't tell you how excited I am to start getting some actual football talk to have some actual substance that we can really break down because we've been missing a little bit of that man since April and they were doing spring football man I've been just jonesing for my fix of of Oregon football and just football in general so yeah it, it could not be more excited for what the next three to four weeks you know uh, have in store and then we get jump right in to fall camp in early August it's going to be a blast. Now, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Remember, you can, you can subscribe to the site for $1 for your first 30 days, or you can jump on for an annual subscription, and your first year uh, each month comes out to being $6.26 per month. Uh, go sign up today. You will not regret that. 
Uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.